you, Jacob. When I was young, a very, very long time ago, and I was using one of my dad's tools, which I often did, and I didn't clean it or put it back in the right place or I left it outside in the rain to rust, he'd say to me something like this. You can do what you like with your own things, lad, but this is mine, not yours. I don't mind you borrowing it, but if you use it, you must use it right and look after it. Or if not, you don't use it at all. And if I was using a particularly fine tool of his, he'd say, these things don't grow on trees, you know. This cost a fortune. On the occasion of a harvest festival, we can easily imagine those words spoken to us by a creator God about how we use God's world. Our Harvest Festival Thanksgiving is a good time to reflect on the issue of ownership and the treatment of things. So whose world is it? The psalmist is clear, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And we're able to use it. In Genesis, we're clearly given the responsibility to care for it like a beautiful garden. But it's not and never can be ours in the sense that we're ultimately its owners, able to wreck it as we choose. We're a generation of human beings, and by we, I mean every soul on earth, for whatever else it is, talk about the earth is a global issue, who unlike any generation before us, has the sheer amount of knowledge and evidence that the treatment of this world by us has dramatic consequences. Experts will argue whether global warming is caused by greenhouse gases or we're on a mega trend of thousands of years like the Ice Age come round again, though the majority seem increasingly clear about the bare evidence of global warming. I've heard people in cold climates say that they'd welcome a warmer world. If Bognor Regis is like the Mediterranean 30 years ago, they're going to rejoice. But as Tony reminded us in our prayers, if you live in the South Pacific in Oceania, in some of those small Pacific islands, which just incidentally are the most populated by Methodists in proportion to the, to the population of anywhere on earth, if you note their life and the rise in temperature and the consequential, consequential diminishing of the ice caps and the rise, therefore, of the sea level, it's having a devastating effect. And in a few short years, some of the lowest-lying islands will disappear for good and whole cultures and civilizations will disappear from the face of the earth. Or take the area of pollution. For example, the way in which the byproducts of this or that process, which does often easiest and cheapest something that we want or something that we need to make, chemicals in water, upsets to biological balances, and so on and so forth. Now, to be sure, not everyone believes that the earth is the Lord's because they don't believe in God. The world, they say, 
is ours. But many folk today then go on to say, that doesn't mean to say we can do what we want. We've got a responsibility to this planet. And they're as critical as those who seem to think it's unimportant to look after the earth. They're as challenging to those people as anybody else, as those Christians who believe that the earth is the Lord's. Condemnation in stereo from the vandals of the earth. When it comes to the health of this planet and the issues relating to how we're going to continue to live together on it, many Christians and non-Christians find themselves in much the same place. Indeed, everyone in this room will know people who are not particularly Christian believers, but they are more zealous about conservation, about safe processes, about issues of sustainability, they're more enthusiastic and committed to recycling, choosing what they will and they won't buy, from where, looking into the background of various issues and generally seeking to live their lives in a way that takes seriously the issues facing this planet than many, many Christians. As one person said to me recently, you don't have to believe in God to believe that looking after the very ground under our feet and the air that we're breathing is really, really important. I remember being told the story of a church in North London many years ago at the time when we were faced with the fall of Ceausescu's regime in Romania and there was all that talk about the orphanages in Romania and how they might be served, the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, the person who told me this story, a woman said, so I said to the vicar, we need to do something. So he read out for several weeks, if anybody wants to help with the sorting out of some kind of response to the Romanian orphanage situation here in North London, stay behind in the church and sign up. And at the end of several weeks of the minister banging this drum, how many people had signed up? Eight. And they decided that eight people wasn't sufficient to run the kind of project that they felt was needed. So they took the dramatic step of filling in one of those postcards and sticking it in the local co-op. If anybody is interested in helping us work out what to do for Romanian orphanages, will you please meet in the local village or town or street hall on such and such a day? How many people turn up? 108. Christians have no monopoly on a seek to do, seeking to do good things. And Christians and non-Christians are alike also, therefore. This is subtle, listen to it carefully. At the grandeur of God, whether we believe in the Creator God or not, deep down in their genes when they agree together on very important things. That we failed to live in a way that's sustainable. And Christians might use the word we've sinned. That we need to change our way of living and dramatically. And Christians might use the word repentance. 
that we can no longer live just how we want to do and beyond our means and the means of the planet as if there were no consequences. And Christians might use the word conviction. And now the future of our children and our grandchildren is of the most importance to us rather than our own futures. And Christians might use the word salvation. So human beings may disagree whether the earth is the Lord's or not, but in many respects, it's a moot point. Because very many Christians and non-Christians recognize the same realities that face us all and that our future together, life or death, affects us all. Indeed, it's often pointed out by people who aren't very convinced Christians, very significant parts of the Genesis story that Grace read for us earlier on. When Christians read the Genesis story in Genesis 2 and 3, they're prone to point out the sin of Adam and Eve and then talk about the fallenness of the world. It's often those who would not claim to be Christian that point out also that human beings are meant to tend the garden. Christians are prone to explain the significance of the serpent, often as a means of explaining why there is so much wrong in the world. There's nothing wrong with that. It's people who often would not say that they're followers of Christ who point out that the Genesis account tells you that there are limits. You can do this, but you can't do that. You can eat that, but you shouldn't touch that. And many people are working in that difficult but crucially necessary world today of seeking to apply what limits might mean in a complicated world of sciences and technologies and medicine and the like. Harvest of all the occasions in the Christian calendar is a time for a bit of Christian humility. And even if I dare say so from a Christian pulpit, from working out that sometimes a celebration which now finds its place in church but has its origins in all kinds of pagan festivals might actually shine some light sideways into our own understandings of things. A recognition that God's intentions and priorities are sometimes better discerned and responded to from people who don't naturally count themselves his. The relationship of Christians with the natural earth is actually a very complex one. We readily affirm the beauty of the world and we readily sing how great thou art with gusto. We stand awestruck on hillsides. We are wowed by Attenborough-type programs about the natural world and the ever-shrinking species on it. And then as much and as easily as anyone... We live on this planet as if we're the sole reason for being here and we can do what we like. Indeed, some Christians are less than averagely good at caring for God's planet because, to put it very crudely, we are not worldly enough. We're not very good at putting emphasis on the world because, after all, this world is not our home and we're just passing through. And as a result, we're not as committed to the stewardship of the world as others who do not believe, A, that this world is created by God, or B, that God gave humankind the responsibility of looking after it. 
That's really strange when you read the biblical narratives. But sadly, occasionally true. You see, for Christians, the conviction that the earth is the Lord's is not made simply because we believe God created it, but also and absolutely crucially because we believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died to redeem it. You can do what you like with your own things, but this is mine, not yours. I don't mind you borrowing it, lad, but if you use it, you must use it properly and look after it. If not, don't use it at all. These things don't grow on trees. They cost a fortune. And the New Testament writers repeatedly remind us that Christ is not simply the Lord of the church. He is the Redeemer of the world. But God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have everlasting life. And we instinctively relate that fabulous gospel passage, rightly, to individuals. God loves you and you and you and you, and that's right. But it also means all of this. The second Adam came, to use St. Paul's repeated phrase, to redeem it all, to give hope for the future of everything, to show us how to live. And that has just as much to do with how we live on this fragile, wonderful planet as any other aspect of Christian life and human living. So at Harvest Festival, in a world facing issues that threaten every one of us, when only huge, explicit, popular support for national and international priorities relating to pollution, health, agriculture, and unfolding ecological disasters only en masse will we find the energy to change anything. At Harvest Festival, we collect food stuff for our food bank. And at the same time, incidentally, properly, severely question why in a society like ours we have to do that at all. And we pray for the homeless and we pray for refugees. The challenge of the gospel is not only to ask, whose world is it? It's to ask the question on Harvest Festival, whose am I? St. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, a group who we understand more than many in the ancient world, enjoyed life, knew how to have a party, and did largely what they wanted with no thought to anyone else. They were the trading capital of Asia. And Paul writes to the Christians there and says, but you were bought with a price. You're not your own. There's that old story of the church in Berlin bombed in the Second World War and their statue of Jesus suffered by having arms up to the elbow smashed. And after the war, as people were working out how to rebuild a society and towns and cities all over Europe, the sculptor of the original offered to refashion Jesus' hands. And the church thought about this for some time and then said to him, thank you so much for your offer, but no. In a world like this at this time, we need to be reminded each time we walk into our church 
that in the words of St. Teresa, Christ has no hands but our hands. At Harvest Festival 2016, what does it mean to take seriously the notion that we are not our own? In terms of our actions, in terms of our volunteering, in terms of our giving, in terms of our protesting, in terms of our loving and our caring, in terms of our partnership with others about the crucial things of humanity. If we believe it all belongs to God and that we belong to God in Christ, then how should we live together today here on this fragile, polluted garden planet? Because the living out of that over the next days and weeks and years will be the best witness to whether or not we understand the nature of a harvest festival today. Amen.